0: You're listening to The Greatest Multifamily Investment Advice Show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to The Greatest Multifamily Advice Show. And today we have Quentin D'Souza, an exceptional guest and real estate investor out of Durham region of Ontario whose career is more than 20 years between real estate, book author, joint venture, raising capital, and all sorts of funds. How are you, Quentin?
1: I'm doing well. How about yourself, Adam?
0: Thanks so much for being with me today, and I appreciate your taking the time.
1: No problem. I'm always glad to to talk to people about real estate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good to hear. So, Quentin, your background is super impressive, and we want to start with the beginning. What was the motivation to say, I want to start Learning about real estate, especially that you're coming from teaching uh, side, and you change your career, I think, or you're still working yep. on teaching.
1: No, no, I left teaching in 2014. I, I, I was um, I was experimenting with different things. I did consulting while I was a teacher. I worked for different uh, like uh, book companies and things like that on the side, and I um, I started to experiment with different uh, ways to. Uh, create wealth for my family. Um, 2004, I bought my first property. And uh, in 2008, I said, wow, this really works well. (laughs) And so I decided to buy more. And then in 2008, I was buying four or five a year. And then I I took my master's in education and I was going to be a school principal, uh, but um, I found that it made more sense for me. I had to make a choice in 2013, continue uh, going through administration or um, you know become an entrepreneur and uh, being an entrepreneur really spoke to me more and and focusing on my real estate portfolio and being able to to do different things so i decided to in 2013 just focus on real estate Um, i left uh, teaching in 2014 i uh, used a number of different strategies flipping i did uh, 12 flips in a year and then I uh, decided that uh, flipping was more of a job than teaching was. So I decided to, uh, to stop doing that. And 2015, I started to buy small apartment buildings with my other strategies. I was doing duplex conversions and things like that as well. And then, um, you know, to date, I've got 24 apartment buildings, uh, closing on the 25th, the 94 unit in June, I'm uh, continuing to grow. I've got two other apartment buildings under contract closing in August, and I just continue to grow that portfolio. I'm at $98 million in assets in Ontario and uh, a few, a couple other million in assets in the U.S. So I'm, I'm continuing to grow. I'm an active investor. I've written books because I still like to teach. And I have a coaching program that uh, I have uh, one of my former students who runs for me and uh, and I continue to run Durham REI, which has been a a great way for me to get my teaching out as well. So I I have we actually have members from across Canada, but uh, it's a great way for people who are interested in learning to to interact with other people who are doing the going in the same direction I, I encourage people to. Always, um, even if you're, you know, um, just say you're in Edmonton or you're in Nova Scotia, like in Halifax, find a local group of people who are investing in real estate in your area. There's a lot of different ways to do that nowadays. You can go on Meetup. You can do uh, Facebook searches and find different, um, different groups that are out there. And, and then um, you can meet with them and continue to, to learn and grow. And you create a peer network which I think is really helpful.
0: So as you said, you you change because you didn't want to work at like additional job when you're doing flipping. So you focus to grow your business and sub everything, which basically allow you to, to, to grow. That's why you choose multifamily, not doing more flipping in your career.
1: I, I think the difference between, I, I think you can make, one to four units more of a business, and I have done that because of the scale and the amount of units that I have, it becomes more of a business. But what's neat about multifamily buildings is because of the size of the asset and the number of units under one roof, you're able to create each multifamily building as if it were a small business right Mm. and each small business you want to make sure that you're making money at the end of the month that you have a business plan that you're trying to implement and then you're able to um, achieve that business plan through perhaps a refinance. And then um, holding the asset again, right, uh, with on the apartment building, like I've, I've refinanced apartment buildings, the same apartment building three times, right? Um, so it just depends mm-hmm. on the, the strategy. And as long as you're able to continue to turn over units, create, um, you know, that spread between what the market rent is and what the old rent is then you're able to to create additional value because you're increasing your net operating income. Mm -hmm. And, um, and therefore you can refinance the the asset again and again. And it it allows me to take those funds and invest them into other buildings and other projects. Whereas in the one to four unit space, what often happens is you end up capping out because of your debt coverage ratio Mm -hmm. at a much lower mortgage amount. So even though the value of the project is, is higher, let's say like you could have a duplex in Oshawa worth 1.2 million, but based on the rents, you can only qualify at like 600,000. And the only way to access those the, because of the debt coverage ratio. So, so, what you, so you could probably put like a second mortgage in there or something like that in order to try to access more of the, the, the properties.
0: Th- the DSR is more about uh, uh, plus five units if it duplex and you're shows, is he not going to apply the 1.2 or 1.1 dsr it
1: well as you see it depends on how you're looking at it if you're looking at it from a from a personal perspective qualification hmm. um that's different than when i'm buying in corporations and the one to four unit space right correct, correct. so so the, and that's why i'm speaking from that perspective because that's what how i'm looking at it i run a business i i don't put things in my personal name in the one to four unit space, right? Correct. Um, so that's why- You're still buying uh, different... any
0: single family home or um, we can say residential loan, like less than four units? You still doing it,
1: right? it? It depends because Oh, I did last year. I bought a triplex last year because I owned a fourplex beside it, and it allows me to okay. have both both pieces of land, and Correct. I'm able to build something larger on that piece of land. I, I'm going. It's going to take a long time, and both cash flow quite well as is, so it's okay to own them. But eventually, my business plan is a bigger, uh, bigger building on that land. So it. I will if it makes sense, but mm. the challenge is uh, I, I prefer to work in the larger apartment building space. I find that the uh, you know I'm able to to do more faster and acquire um, better assets so that uh, you know I can I can have more of a team around me that are working on those assets. Um,
0: so my question is, uh, I, I see a lot of uh, like the trend now or the niches. Going out of Ontario, if you want to acquire more, but I guess uh, right now what you're saying is you're focused more on Durham region. You're buying more about, no? No. So
1: our, our properties are actually from Pickering out to Ottawa along the 401 corridor. So I'm oh, okay. not buying in the Durham region per se. I'm buying in Kingston and Belleville and, you know, different areas along the 401 corridor where the cap rates make sense. I'm still buying at like a, you know, three and a half to a five yeah. cap rate, depending on what I can do. As long as I see that there's enough spread in the rents to be able to, uh, to carry out a business plan that I'm interested in the property. I'm not buying at a three cap rate where there's very 2.5 here like- in Toronto.
0: 2.5 where I, <laughs>
1: where the actual spread on the new rents versus the old rent is like a thousand dollars like like across the whole building it's I'm gonna be gonna negative cash that.
0: flow basically if you're gonna yeah. buy it was i uh, was 2.5 or three you're gonna pay from your pocket already
1: yeah that's right unless you have a business plan that allows you to move that asset to a higher value quickly uh, yeah yeah right then it makes sense like especially in that two and a half cap rate situation if you see a spread of a thousand dollars per unit and let's say it's a six unit building right Um, that's $6,000 that spread of $6,000 multiplied by 12 right so and then divided by the cap rate so let's say that's I mean that's a significant times 12 and let's say that what do you want to use the cap rate at Uh, 0.03 cap rate so that gives us. um, So we said 6,000 times 12 equals 72,000 divided by 0.03 cap rate. That equals a value increase of 2.4 million, right? So if you see... The challenge is looking at it as if it's just a 2.5 cap rate, right? Sometimes you have to be able to see what you can create out of it and how confident you are to be able to implement that business plan. It's not just looking at the cap rate as it is, but what your plan is to... And I, I wouldn't necessarily buy an asset like that because I can do the same thing and still have a spread between the cap rate and my interest rate. So I have at least some return on the asset. But if I know what I'm doing, and I can carry out a business plan, perhaps pay out a few tenants to leave, be able to, to turn over those units, then I can create value. Um, that's a lot. Um, most people won't be able to do that because they don't have the confidence or the, uh, the ability to do it. Whereas I've been doing this for you 20 know, years, uh, years,
0: <laughs> 20 years, correct?
1: almost well, like years. 2014 or oh. 2004 sorry so that's um i don't know 18. that's a long time 18, 18 years yeah 18 yeah. years okay
0: yeah. yeah
1: so i have the i have the ability to be able to i have the confidence and i've gone through many cycles with property so i've gone through full cycle on a number of projects and and implemented right i i just did in march a 12 unit building that we bought 3 years ago we bought it for 1.75 we got it ref, financed in March at 2.65 million or 2.63 million with a mortgage of 1.83. So that means that we basically I've given my partners back the $500,000 that we used plus we split, you know, whatever it is, 83,000 between the the two of us hmm. and and now we continue to own that asset and I'll continue to turn over units probably in 3 years we'll refinance that asset again do the same thing, this time I'll get a little bit more because I won't have to pay back my partners their initial investment. And um, that's the that's my typical business plan when it comes to these type of properties in Ontario. It,
0: I, I have question about this, to be honest, because sure. right now, because of the inflation and the prices, to be honest, this is my business plan right now. I'm, I'm moving to Saskatchewan uh, because of um, the price, the inflation, the cash flow. But you're targeting something similar to Saskatchewan because you're saying that you're going to Belleville. I'm not going to say Kingston is the same because Kingston is a big community anyway. Uh, But why you stick with uh, with Ontario? Why is not... Like I I met with many investors. uh, Like they keep pushing for the cash flow and you're doing the same, but your approach is different. You're staying in Ontario still, I think yeah yeah so why not uh you like to be Cause, closer because it's hard hard yeah it's hard yeah. and all those people who are leaving
1: thank you <laughs> <laughs> including me okay <laughs> thank you. no I, it, it's it's true like yeah. i'm doing something that's hard that other people can't do and what, what that gives me is um, a unique business plan that i have historical you know the ability to have been able to carry it out and yeah it it's more difficult and the prices are di- difficult to work with and you can't just i i haven't bought a property off the mls i've never bought a building off the mls right i've always bought uh, through pocket listings broker listings private listings my own advertising i've always done that to be able to um to buy properties so hmm. i i almost work hard, off market all of them I, all I of the, all was off money. Okay. always always everything always yeah I, i've worked hard to be able to do what what we've been able to do and good partnerships with good people right um that's that's the key um to be able to have those good relationships with lots of people to be able to make that make it happen and i think that it's okay if you're i i i want you to be careful if you just look at price because price point is a two edged sword. Usually, if you're looking at a uh, because of price, you may be able to get cash flow, Mm. but you, you may have a tough time with cap rates, you may not have the the reason why you know you have a three cap in one area and a five cap in another is because five cap probably was eight cap before right and now it's at five cap so you're seeing cap rate compression but the reason why you why cap rates are what they are is for three reasons right one is the location of the asset two is the condition of the building um so just the overall condition of the building and three has to do with interest rates Right. Those are the the three things that make up. When
0: you're saying a second one, you mean the NOI because the actual condition is reflective of the expenses and income, correct?
1: Yeah, partially. Like if you were to think of the second condition of the asset, think of like buying a new building that was built in the last three years versus a building that was built in the 1970s right so there that's going to affect the cap rate correct. of the asset right yeah. because of the condition of the building so correct. that's that's all part of what makes. you mean the class plus the...
0: class a or plus bu plus c or d
1: yeah 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 you could say that i i don't think that we have really class d in in canada as compared to the u.s, the US yeah. right correct but i mean i could i could i could argue that we have class c um a lot but, of areas you know, yeah. yeah 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 so uh, So I think that those are all things that you have to keep in mind when you're thinking about net operating income right and you have to be careful if you're just going to for price because right now what we have is a a, a very high demand for units because we have a, a population that's increasing, we have governments that cannot communicate with each other like we have federal and provincial governments who want more housing who want to invest in housing and we have municipal governments that don't want any building in their backyard they don't want to you know the nimbyism the people who are like bananas who who control like they, they build anything nowhere and nothing anywhere people
0: right yeah and suddenly a, a bomb in 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 canada starting from 2017 because of the immigrations. i'm an immigrant uh, i'm not sure if you i think yes, every one of us too. is a yeah. immigrants but 1970s uh, yeah yeah but i'm new immigrant 15 but uh yeah uh I think all of this because, as you said, uh, no coordination between uh, the governments, uh, federal and provisionals, and all of uh, the middle classes paying for uh, for the inflation and the huge increase of the prices basically in the last 10 years, the prices is doubled.
1: Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that everybody is blaming other people and other things, right? So like, if you try to tell people, you try to tell some economists that it's like, it's not supply and demand, that it's, it has something to do with something else. Okay. That's fine. I understand that that's all part of it. Yes. We have an issue with the amount of, uh, um, the, the money supply that's increased in the last two years, but if you increase supply, no, Normally, what happens is that prices come down. Look at look at what's happened in March versus January and February of this year in lots of areas around Ontario. When you're looking at the residential market, hmm. you're seeing a, a lot more listings come on, and you're seeing prices come down. Yeah. I've seen prices. The average come down going down a little bit right now. Yeah, Peterborough, Peterborough, Kingston, Northumberland, Niagara. Uh, like, so that's a whole bunch of different areas. Durham region is also the same thing. So it has to do with supply and demand and it has other factors too. We have interest rates going up. Those are all part and parcel, but I'm telling you that people discount supply more than they should, right? That, that they're, and if we, we do need to have a consistent supply of new housing that's coming online, also i think that matching immigration at least because matching almost all of the
0: immigration coming to ontario especially well, gta
1: yeah and they will rent first for the first few years they will rent right? 100%. that's what usually happens 100%. when we when we came not anymore
0: always they gonna rent no one can afford now more than yeah, a condo yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: When we came in the seventies, we lived in a basement, right? Like that's, that's what happened for the first six months. And then we moved to an apartment and we rented that apartment for like probably three or four years before we actually bought something. Right? and that's the typical you know progress of of uh, immigrants in Canada it takes time 100%. but you know that, that that's usually what happens and so we we you know we're not building enough to be able to house just the people that are coming let alone the people who want to move up and and down and around in in their uh, in that are here so what happens is that the assets that are already there is becoming more valuable i'll tell you one thing that you know the difference between Ontario and Saskatchewan and I'm still building I'm still buying under construction cost okay right so you've got to remember that like if you look at construction cost of buildings you're probably looking at let's say like let's say a good if you're very good at what you do 225 thousand or 225 dollars a square foot right okay. right I'm still buying buildings under my construction cost I am. Hmm. right so other people may not be doing that but i am okay and and so for me that's a benefit right you can't even build (laughs) for what i'm buying for Hmm. even though i may have like I, i may not have like a like my last building may not be a four cap, it's a three and a half cap, but there's enough spread in the rents so that I can be able to um, be able to turn over two or three units and then I will be at a, a much higher cap rate or um, I will be better off and have more cash flow so, from that asset. So the
0: strategy is you got the building and then within 18 to two years, 18 months to two years, you're going to have a refinance by adding value or better strategy so we can... Okay, yeah, I understand to increase the cap.
1: I always say I always say 3 to 5 years because I like to be conservative. The oh, okay. shortest time the shortest time I've ever done it is 1 year, the longest time I've ever done it is 4 years. Because um,
0: I think your problem is the rent control because you have to buy out the tenants. This is one of yeah. the issues in Ontario.
1: Yeah, and there's also natural turnover. I don't think people give it enough credit. Like usually people do leave Although you would think not. Yeah, you have like 10 to 20% leave annually in a building naturally. It's been less, it's been about half this year than it was last year. Hmm. Uh, But uh, natural turnover in the past historically has been 10 to 20%. Not everybody wants to live in apartment building, especially if you're a new immigrant, Hmm. your probably goal isn't to live there for 20 years, right? You're correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, and that's what you, that's what I think a lot of people aren't keeping track of. There's also the, the non payers, the problem tenants, those usually when you take over a building, you have a few of those that you have to turn over. And that's part of natural turnover. You, hopefully you can, you know, you don't have to go through the landlord tenant board, which is a mess, but, but the thing is that rent control is actually reducing the number of available, the people who want to create rental units in Ontario. It, it is. I, and I know people, that's not a popular opinion. And some people are going to... I hate you know, rent control. Yeah, I hate it, rent control. Yeah, but because it, it affects it affects the amount of people who are actually building and the effect the number of units. Yeah. Although it is amazing for the person who currently lives in the unit.
0: Of it course.
1: is it is never going to work for anybody else
0: okay it's and, not an investor friendly market we no, can say this no that's
1: right and that's why a lot of people move to like um you know Alberta or Saskatchewan or you know the east coast or the united states for sure a lot of the yeah. some of, i i've got properties in um in florida and uh in in tampa and we um i i raised the rent 400 on one unit Right, so I, I moved it from three, 1300 I think actually, I think it was like uh, eighteen hundred. So it was like five hundred dollars, and, and, and one, one, one shot. In one shot, and you know why <laughs> they stayed? Because they didn't leave. They stayed. Do you know why? why? Because the other units were selling for, were renting for eighteen fifty or uh, nineteen hundred for the same comparable unit. Yeah, stayed fifty dollars below of what, or a hundred dollars below of what they they could have got anywhere to match and, the market trend. Yeah. And then they, they stayed. Correct. And I did that. And I, and I keep doing that again and again. And you know what, wh- why that makes sense is because my asset actually isn't losing value. So if I decided to sell that asset, my rent is pretty comparable to what market rent is. Hmm. So I can actually have that tenant, when I sell the building, probably just stay there, unless it was somebody else who was moving in, right? Correct. And So uh, like, that's, that's the difference between what happens in in Ontario, someone is going to want to move in because no one's going to want to keep that tenant. Anybody who's a professional investor is never going to want to keep that tenant in there in those one to four unit space. Now, in apartment buildings, it's the same. You never really want to, but you can't do anything about it. That's okay. We, we work through the system. I've written two books on property management. Right, I've written six books all together. Two books on property management. It's five I or know six. How this,
0: I was okay. Uh, six. Okay, I was thinking five. Okay. Well, uh, the sixth <laughs> book is
1: on um, uh, scaling up, uh, and I don't publish it on Amazon. It's only available to members and and people I know. That's I why I didn't. To, know. Okay. Yeah, that's this good point. it's uh, it's this one. This book here, the scaling up toolbox. That's yeah, that I that didn't available. see this one.
0: Yeah, Yeah, <laughs> you, you
1: you'd have to go to jointventurebook.com, and that's the only other place that you can you can pick it up but it's 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 really the rest of them you could all get on amazon and 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 that's fine and um i think that like you know there are lots of ways to do it and i've i've learned a lot you know over the years and i continue to learn i i i don't pretend to to know everything uh but i know enough that my strategy works and it's not exciting but it's it's efficient (laughs) And I've been able to do it again and again, and I will continue to do it right and I create, you know, um, you know, a great asset and I continue to, to ensure that you know what I'm doing makes it a place where people want to live. Nobody is ever going to be 100% happy. But you know what, I always try to, to do the best we can to make sure that it's safe, healthy environment that where where people live. And that's it.
0: I think my because your strategy is based on um, off-market deals so the challenge always will be developing relationship with your core team and for my opinion is your core team is going to be your commercial relatives and yep. maybe landlords in your target yep. market to get this constant stream so anyone wanna start this is going to ask first how you started this relationship and what was your strategy
1: yeah, so let's say you're interested in finding properties in Belleville. Yeah. Go find the realtors who have have done the last few uh, multifamily transactions in Belleville and contact them and go out for lunch and buy them lunch because nobody buys them lunch. They always have to buy lunch. 100%. So go buy them lunch. Right? Gift
0: cards.
1: Yeah get, yeah, get your cards, create a relationship, let them know who you are. Tell them all the transactions that you've already done. Like I've done, you know, I've done 23 purchases. This is the type of deals that we do. If you don't have, if you don't have the experience, then you're going to have a bit of a challenge. So what you want to present is, okay, this is how much money I have in the bank. You Could even show them your account statement. You know, you don't have to give it to them, but show them, look, I have this money in the bank. I'm ready to go to, to get this done. I'm not going to waste your time because that's what they're afraid of. Right. Because they, they, there is not as many transactions that happen in the commercial space as in the residential space. They're bigger when they are. They they can be bigger, and so there are more. Um, they're more likely to work with people they have a relationship on. Like usually when it gets the when it gets on the MLS, it's because it's been picked over by other people right Correct. like other people have picked over them this is what kind of came through i think i re- recently saw like a 12 unit in peterborough that just got put on the mls for like 4.5 million right i'm like oh my god
0: <laughs> like how much of the unit is 300 300
1: 400 yeah 375 per unit right
0: <laughs> in peterborough right? so like okay. uh, i don't know how are you gonna make money on this
1: yeah are you going to make money on it that's the that's the, the key right so yeah. i don't know you'd have to go and look at the numbers and see what it is but i right. can tell you that i saw that unit before it got listed or at least i saw information about it i would not have purchased it but i, I saw information about it before it went on it how, was,
0: how much was it before Do you remember? no 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 that's what they wanted for it. oh okay okay and 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 they got listed at that oh okay
1: okay right but i mean uh, if it if it made sense you know i would have made sure that that there was an offer on that property ahead of time hmm. but if it doesn't make sense that's why that's why MS. you pass
0: it yeah yeah i understand
1: right now uh, for like in, in that situation it, like i saw the deal and you know of course it doesn't make sense right so and and that's the thing you know, you, you create these relationships, then, you know, you'll, you have flow that's either, you know, from other people, from different sources that can kind of come in and you can see what makes sense and, and what doesn't make sense. Right. And and that takes time to develop. That's what I do every, like every day. And it's
0: working and have no yeah. more people. I was just trying to ask this first thing on, on your, this business is to have a, to, to be a, a great networker and always keep this relationship, always, every day, every month, with these people, investors, realtors, contractors, landlords. By the way, landlords. So how you approach landlords in your target area?
1: Well, I mean, landlords in a target area, what you would find is like, what are different organizations or meetups that are in the area, Hmm. right? So you could find different, like sometimes you'll have landlord associations, sometimes you'll have um, uh, meetup groups, things like that. Hmm. And then you go and attend those events and you find out who are the people that own buildings in that group Hmm. Hmm. and you start talking to them. You know, what's funny is that you'll talk to them and then they will probably know somebody else who's selling or they might want to sell in the future and you're creating a relationship with them so that potentially they may sell to you in the future so you like it takes time sometimes it takes years before somebody will sell to you 100%, 100%. right and a good broker that's what they've been doing for years anyways right
0: yeah uh inviting landlords and in, uh, in events golf events so they can maintain this relationship with landlords yeah this is their I mean, uh, strength anyway yeah that's right yeah
1: and and so if you if you're working with a good broker they can facilitate that connection and sometimes what you can do with a good broker is they can make unsolicited offers for you right they may know that well oh, this guy was thinking about selling a year ago let's see if he'll like if we give him an unsolicited offer will he accept it
0: 100%. Right, yeah,
1: right, and that's what good brokers can do for you. So there's lots of different ways of doing it. I, I don't accept that there you can't find anything. I think that's a you know a defeatist attitude. That's not okay. my, my deal. Always there, deal okay. always
0: there. So I think one of the greatest thing you did so far, I think, besides the investment, of course, that you created dorm uh, REI meetups. Uh, no. How how beneficial this was for your business.
1: I think, you know what, if I were to do things differently, it, I would have probably focused more on the podcast and uh, video channels versus doing the the group itself. Really? I enjoy, I enjoy doing the group because I feel like I'm teaching more, hmm. but I don't know if my, like the, the size and scope of what I've doing benefit is as much as it's benefiting the people who are attending the meetup group. Hmm. I I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm the expert in the room and I'm sharing a lot of knowledge. I, I really haven't found as many partners from that group as I have from attending other types of events, Hmm. right? Like going to entrepreneur groups, going to golf clubs, going to, you know, other places where I've met people. I, I think that that's, that's been more beneficial than I think that group itself. I think I benefit a lot of people, which is, which is nice. And, and I was, you got to remember, I was a teacher for a long time, right? Mm. For like 20 years. So I still enjoy uh, teaching. Mm. And so that allows me to, to teach and I, I I'm presenting when I'm in front of the room, I'm presenting again. Right. And so that's um, that makes me feel good. And, and also, I feel like I'm I'm helping people. So it's it's a, a nice thing. But from um, like helping business perspective, if I were to go back, I would probably spend more time building uh, like a, a channel. I, I, I started to do like the podcast, like I have my own podcast to um, uh, get real wealthy and um so that's that's okay but if i spent as much time as i have on durham rei as i i did on if i do on the podcast and video stuff Hmm. i think that that would have been a better way to to get more audience connected yeah yeah, because your your
0: main focus is two things raising capital networking yeah yeah so what is your favorite meetup so far in the year so Uh, I heard you on one of the interviews saying that I was in a meeting uh, when I was uh, the, I I felt that I was the smallest. You have a a, a huge portfolio. I uh, like so far you did, I think, uh, uh, by the way, how many, how many units under management so far?
1: Uh, By the end of June, it'll be 500 units. But, uh, and that will be at about um, 115 million in assets under management. Um, so yes, uh, so I am part of the entrepreneur organization and we do, we have what's called the forum meeting and there's a group of us that meet from across Canada and, um, they have businesses that are bigger than me, um, (laughs) uh, like, like double, triple, like way, way bigger than I am. And so I feel like I'm learning a lot from them because I'm not the biggest fish in the, in, in the room, right? right. I'm not the biggest portfolio. So I feel like I'm learning a lot. And that helps me tremendously. And that's what what I like, that's where I learn best, because I'm always asking questions. Um, I'm in an EO forum group, that's kind of local. And, you know, their businesses are all like 10 million or more annual income, right? They're much bigger, like they, they just do more stuff in different types of businesses. So I'm always learning from them. So I I try to put myself in situations where I'm not the biggest. When I am in Durham REI or I'm presenting to like meetup groups or I'm presenting to like different meetup groups across Canada, usually I'm the biggest person in the room. Not always, but usually I'm at least in the top 1% of the room and that's not how i that's not how you learn you put yourself in situations where you know you are um, the smallest right and you learn from the people to give yourself
0: you. some sort of a goal for the next step yeah i'm here now this is my next uh, in the next five years i will be on this uh, level correct
1: Yeah, that's right. But you also learn different things that you haven't necessarily Mm. heard of before, right? So like, uh, one of the things that I'm working on now, which I didn't hear of before, and I wouldn't have is a a master insurance policy. So, you know, Mm. um, usually you'll hear of people who have a policy for each building. Right? So some of the bigger players in Canada, they will have a master policy, and they'll have different corporations, but they'll all be part of this master policy, so that the insurance company can diversify their, their risk, because they know that one building may burn down, but the whole... Portfolio, portfolio isn't okay. going gonna, gonna to burn down at the same time so it reduces the risk and it could uh, could potentially allow you to reduce the cost of your insurance and diversify like you could have a three million dollar liability across the master portfolio and then have specific liability associated with each property so it's a very uh interesting approach i would never have learned that if i was in a room with people just like me because they don't know any different right right <laughs>
0: Yeah, so this is,
1: and yeah, it does. And I do that and I learn things like that all the time. And that's how I grow and learn and and I share that with people like I like this is a podcast and I'm sharing with you so other people can learn that and I share it you know at Durham REI when I do my presentations and things like that Um, but there are some things I cannot share right and uh, and you know some of those business practices I'm I'm, I very much you know I put books together and I share that but there are some things that you know I do that that work for me that keep my business going and I I keep those to myself but ninety you know 95 percent of the stuff i share with uh with other people right
0: so my other question i always love to ask people is mentor and mentorship i think you're you're already a coach for you're you're doing coaching for people but who is your coach
1: yeah so i've had different coaches over the years so dan sullivan would be uh mm-hmm. from strategic coach would be a great example of a coach i i've had um uh, a gentleman out on the West Coast who does uh, pro coach, hmm. and uh, his name is Andrew, and uh, he, w- he was great for, and again, a business coach for, for mindset pe- uh, pieces and things like that. Um, So I've learned a lot from them. And then also peer groups like the entrepreneur organization, I found that I've learned from other peers, but not necessarily from a a coaching perspective. So um, those have all been very helpful for me. And yes, I do coach, but I have so I sit on the top and then I have a coach that works for me. And he coaches the people that come in. And then I will answer any questions that the they have uh, through like a WhatsApp channel. And also I will meet with them once a month. And then once a quarter, we'll do a
0: mastermind together. So you're still so doing I, it? Uh,
1: only differently. <laughs> because my time isn't worth it. Like I, I do like, I'll, I do a lot more. Um, I, I grow a lot more doing the real estate portfolio and buying apartment buildings, but I still want to help people Mm -hmm. and people continue to ask me for coaching. So the only way I could do that is hire somebody who is a partner with me, who handles a lot of the, yeah. And gets things started. And then when they have big questions that he can't answer or they want to talk to me, then they can do that as well. So it gives them both, right? They get hands-on and, you know, and so it, that, that's that been kind of neat as well. I always try to keep helping people because I, you know, I started like everybody else and, you know, it's it's a way for, for me to kind of give back and and help people. Like we, I didn't start with any properties, right? Like I didn't start with anything you know but it just took time and and you know took experience and time uh, and doing different deals to be able to get to the point where I'm at now
0: 100% okay so the next point i think is always in any investor mind is raising capital so you you go more leaning to the approach of fund so you have the money and the commitment before finding the deal or you find the deal first and then within the underwriting process, you start to raise the money. What is your approach for this?
1: I I only work with accredited investors. So that's Mm. a key difference. And I I always get the property first and have a phone call I have a list of people that I've talked to that are accredited investors and I'll present them the deal once I have the deal under contract I do not do the fund approach I find that there's a lot of time that funds what you're doing is you're paying for holding on to money hmm. and not necessarily putting it in deals and there's a high overhead cost hmm. that that the investors are paying for because there's, you know, like for a fund, you're talking about, you know, between twenty and thirty thousand dollars a year just in accounting fees, upkeep, legal, right, all of that, and who pays for that? It's, it's not the GP. <laughs> it's gonna be the LP. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's what. So so that reduces the overall return. It it makes it easier for the the GP to be able to to have funds ready to go, but I found that you know I. You, take on projects that I can close myself anyways. So even if I don't raise the funds, I'll close on the project myself. So I've got right now, I'm raising funds for two projects. And if I cannot uh, close on them with partners, I'll close on them myself. I have the funds ready to go. So I'm not really too concerned about it. Um, And I've also been doing this for a long time, so I know that my track record will
0: will help me. So did you, uh, before when you start, had any situation when you didn't able to meet the fund requirement? Because like during the underwriting process, you had three, four investors back out, so you didn't able to close the deal?
1: No, because I typically have a letter of intent that I sign with the partners just once they come on. I've had a case where I've had one partner that's backed out, but usually, you know, I can cover the funds because mm-hmm. that's what I've been able to, that's I know that I can kind of cover the funds to get it done. Mm-hmm. But, um, what often will happen is I'll say to the other people, cause I often will uh, talk to a bunch of accredited investors, Whoever kind of contacts me first, I'll give them the opportunity and there are other people who will contact me and I'll have to say I'm sorry but like I've already, like I've already have enough people that have committed to this project. And I, I might go back to them and say well this person has a change in their life situation. Let's, um, are you interested in, in participating in this uh, deal now and some people will be ready and some people will not be ready and that's okay i'm i'm not too concerned about it but i haven't had that situation and i i need to you got to remember in this business your word is your bond i would still close on that property no matter what i would do whatever it took to get the funds to close on the property like i would I'd sell watches. I would sell whatever I could to make sure that I closed on it because I do not want the seller to come back and say this guy is, you know, because there's not that many buildings, right? And your word is really important in this business. You're gonna lose so. the
0: confidence of your realtor, your uh, whoever give you the bring you the deal. So you're gonna lose the constant stream, which is, as you said, the off-market deals.
1: Yeah, it's important to 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 have that reliability and confidence, but also, um, you know, the, the your investors and the people that you are working with around you all want to know that you're going to be able to do what you say you're going to do, right? 100%. And so that's that's key key for me. So you and, mentioned and there...
0: something about uh, credit investor, which is uh, like famous on US. Like the accredited investor with an actual limit. So, uh, when you can you for the audiences can you just uh, elaborate on this uh, again for GPLP for the audiences? Uh, uh, we mean uh, general partner limited partner uh, terms. Uh, but here in Canada, the, it's I think it's different than US. The term of credit and investors.
1: It, no it's the same so there but there are different more flexibility in the u.s than there is in canada yes, and yes. the challenge is that we only have we don't have like in the u.s you have um the this, this securities and exchange commission that manage the whole of the us we don't don't really have that in canada we have provincial agencies that handle it right so in each province so we have the Ontario Securities Commission we have the Saskatchewan Securities Commission and they so they're 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 different Okay, um, so you need to know the securities law of the province that you're working with, and if you're working with investors in other provinces, you need to know the securities law that uh, that occurs with them. I am not a securities lawyer, so, so the yours? best thing so 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 the best thing you to do is to to contact a yeah. securities lawyer in the province that you're working with. So if you're working in Saskatchewan, you've got to find a securities lawyer who works in Saskatchewan. So. In in Ontario, the uh, um, I think and the, the rules in,
0: in US is 200k uh, for uh, actual income and or uh, to have an actual uh, um, equity more than one million dollar.
1: So it's the same. So it's 200k uh, per for one person, correct? Or 300k with a uh, um, combined household. Com- com- combined household. One million of liquid net worth yeah so liquid net worth means like stocks or cash things like that or a five million dollar net worth that could include your um House your estate. real estate yeah. right yeah. so that so it's a, a a little different there's also some more flexibility when it comes to the u.s because they have um section you know c and d and you know there's lots of different Correct. approaches yeah whereas we we really don't have that in ontario although there's becoming more flexibility because of um, you know, they're they're doing more crowdfunding and they're doing crowdfunding projects. So that's changing the dynamic a little bit, but it's still very complicated and it and it doesn't really work well for an individual investor. It may be great for a big company that can buy a whole building and then put it on to these you know fractional crowdfunding platforms, but it doesn't really work to be able to raise funds for a project. It's not non-functional in in Canada. From where I stand. It's just there's too much risk, and you don't have enough time to be able to actually close. If a project closes in 60 days, and you know, by the time you get it onto the the platform, it's probably like too late. You're you're probably gone firm on the project, anyways. Correct. So, you know, there's just not enough time. So it doesn't, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that the the communication between one level the government and what it actually happens reality is very different. And so um it I don't think right now that it's gonna it functions well. So but an accredited investor is um because they're accredited there are um they it's it's it is thought that they they are able to make these decisions on um, on asset purchases at a highly sophisticated level that they they don't require the same sort of management as somebody who would be considered unsophisticated, hmm. right? And so that's why I I tend to work with accredited investors because of that. It just makes it a lot easier. I think and, it's
0: a, a rule. like in, in GPLP, you have to uh, work with a accredited investor and there's certain rules that you cannot like how to present the deal and so on it's similar to us i think the same security rules i think
1: yeah i mean i'm not a securities lawyer so you're gonna have to talk to a securities lawyer to be able to figure that out i don't want to put that out on a podcast 100%. 100%. personally but uh, but like talk to the the, the uh, lawyer to help you to understand yeah that. I, but you should i've been if using gonna... miller
0: thompson uh, okay yeah so who's yours by the way you're using who? uh well
1: i don't i don't want to he's uh He's not going to want me to put his name on, oh, the, okay. no on the podcast. Yeah, no yeah. no reason. No reason. But uh, yes, it's definitely something that you, you you do need to have a good team around you. And it's taking time to be able to get to where I am to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I've made mistakes too. So I, 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 I've partnered with the wrong people yeah. and they wanted out on the project too early and I've learned from that. I, I would never do that again. And, and now I often talk to people to figure out what their, their needs are and, you know, what their timeline is. Hmm. And, you know, that, that makes a better difference for me than just, you know, partnering with somebody because I, they have money. It's not Correct. necessarily the the right approach. So. so
0: the best approach for you, I think, is a GPLP, not a g- regular joint venture or partnership. Or I actually don't.
1: I don't do joint. I don't do GPLPs unless I have more than ten investors on a deal, Correct. because it's it's a little too complicated. And the CMHC is going to require your LPs to probably do a personal guarantee, anyways. Hmm. Uh, they're not going to be able to to get away from that, especially if you're just starting out. Correct. Uh, um, uh, maybe if you ha- like we're, we we have not had to do that on the last few projects, but it's taken some time to get to that point. And it doesn't mean that future projects we're going to be able to get away from that. Um, but um, so that's, so that would be the benefit of GPLP, which kind of takes away from that process. Um, if you're going to have to give it, it sounds great. And I know that there's some people that promote that but it doesn't always work out from a financing perspective. Sometimes what legal wants and accounting wants isn't what's going to happen in financing. So you need to figure out if that's going to affect your financing because the lending side. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the, what's the point of having a GPLP if the LPs are going to have to have a personal guarantee anyways.
0: Correct. Yeah. Right? So you usually go with bear trust and corporation or?
1: No, we do like a cor- uh, corporation either with a shareholder agreement or a joint venture agreement mm-hmm. in the back end. I think that that works well for us and each building has its own separate corporation. So it has its own sup- separate share structure.
0: So you have a property management and real estate company and uh, and holding company and whoever wants to buy with you is gonna take a share from the holding company, correct?
1: Uh, of the building itself. Oh, so okay. The bu- is that a the company? It, yeah. The the uh, the corporation for the built of the building is separate. it, it is the only thing that holds that that uh, building um, is that one corporation.
0: That's okay. It. Okay. Okay. So it makes
1: it easy and clean for books, bookkeeping, cheaper. liability, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it's cheaper than a GPLP uh, structure, especially for. Well, I mean, you still have annual corporate. Uh, documents and minutes and things like that that you have to do but it's still less expensive than managing a gplp structure and it's less cumbersome
0: because you don't need a security lawyer you can go go as a regular real estate uh, lawyer Lawyer. i think yeah
1: yeah
0: i think the next question for the audience will be what is uh, your advice uh, for the audience about uh, what they have to do to start their capital raising
1: Learn from other people that are doing it the right way and legal way the first, uh, uh, when you get started. I think that's the best way to do it. Watch out for people who have been, um, who are, you're. Who, watch out when you're learning from people who've just done uh, three or four deals and they're trying to teach people how to raise funds because that becomes, um, it could be like, they're teaching you the wrong things because they it's been successful for them, but it doesn't mean that it's legal, right? right. And right. so you gotta you've gotta kind of be careful of that. So look for people who've been doing it for a long time and have a, a history, uh, of of raising funds. And then you know, actually, if you pick up that book, the joint venture book, <laughs> it's called the Scaling Up Toolbox. Hmm. That that'll give you some advice when it comes to to raising
0: capital too. So Thanks, I, I
1: don't I don't know. I, I think I you might have to send you the link for the.
0: 100% I think it's on yeah. your uh, website also no nope. it's in no okay no nope.
1: can't okay. get it anywhere except for why I think it, <laughs> joint, it's a joint venture book because I only ah, make okay. it available to members uh, there's ah, something okay. there's a lot in there that I kind of kept it um, for members but yeah. since people are listening you know they can try to 100%. pick it up at jointventurebook.com and that'll be helpful for, yeah. for them if they're looking for money raising advice and i talk a little bit about securities at the very beginning to for people to watch out and it goes through the entire money raising process for joint
0: ventures so. because you opens us uh, i think you are one of the most popular canadian authors for real estate uh, you did the filling vac- vacancy toolbox the finding property toolbox the ultimate World strategy. The scaling one is the one you mentioned. I was thinking it's five, but you you corrected me. It's six. But do you recall any book grabbed your attention far from even uh, real estate?
1: You mean like books that that uh, grabbed your
0: attention lately? Like uh, you're reading now, like.
1: Oh, I I read books all the time. My yes. Audible too. I. I was reading one uh, recently on due diligence. I think it was called what is it? Mastering um, mastering real estate private equity. Oh, okay. So that that, that was a, a good one. Uh, my Audible uh, account. I, I listen to books all the time. Uh,
0: I have this one. Uh, I think I have it. This one.
1: Mastering.
0: uh, uh mastering, sorry. No, no. Uh, I think that's a different. The master one. of the private equity.
1: Robert? No, it's a different one. No, no, that's a different one. This one is investing in real estate, private equity. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's a different book. So I, the books that I've uh, recently listened to is uh, the money revolution by um, Richard Duncan. Uh, Oh, a great one outside of real estate is called the traveler's gift by Andy Andrews. And it's about choices and choice making and I really enjoyed it. So it was. I thought it was a great book, and it was about how the the choices that you make ha- can change your life. And this is kind of. It was kind of good because it was about time travel, I guess, a little bit. Okay. So and it was about guy going through through history. So like he goes to see Anne Frank, and then he goes to see like um, some some general in the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln, and oh. it's all about his own choices that he's made because and um anyways it's a great book the back Trial to the 18th is century
0: okay long time
1: yeah it was it was pretty pretty neat right so and you started
0: like all of us was poor dead rich dad i think i, I did i like that book for sure
1: i i i think that was probably the book that i started with but i read and listen to at least you know three books a month wow. i used to do four but now i'm at about three that one that i'm reading right now is called the the confident mind so that's the the one that I'm I'm working on now, and I'm and I've got that um, that investing in private equity book that I'm I'm reviewing as well. It's it's neat because I'm looking at it through the lens of an LP. So that's why I like that book. It's kind of looking through the lens of a potential partner mm-hmm. and what a sophisticated investor would look at.
0: Great, great. Thanks so much for doing this. And my final question will be where our listener can follow your success.
1: Ah, You can follow me at uh, getrealwealthy.com, which is my podcast, or at uh, uh, durhamrei.com, which is the real estate club, where I do all my uh, speaking and I share a lot of what's going on with real estate and what I think is going to happen in the future (laughs) when it comes to real estate.
0: Uh, thanks a lot for today's, for your time today, and uh, we would like to bring you back to the show when you have time. Absolutely. Sounds good, Adam. Catch up with me in a few months. Thank you a lot. Thank you a lot. Oh,
1: you're welcome. Thank you.